I was a little apprehensive this morning about uh, seeing 24 people today. (laughs) Just more apprehensive about whether there'd be anything left by the end of the day. But I was pleasantly surprised. Or not even so much surprised, but reminded of the... uh, blessing of having the opportunity to be with those who are cultivating the good and had such a sense of uh, being able to encounter so much sincerity and, and wisdom and honesty. And courage to work with that which is not easy to work with. So though on the, perhaps the level of the nervous system and the level of the brain, I'm, I'm not supercharged. <laughs> but on the level of the heart I feel I feel really good about what we're doing and I feel more and more convinced that it works and that this process guides itself We do need some encouragement from time to time. But one of the beauties, one of the significant beauties of the Buddhist teachings and any great, true spiritual teaching, one of the beauties is that it uh, again and again empowers us to take responsibility. for looking into our own hearts, looking into our own lives and discovering for ourselves what leads to suffering, what leads to harm for me, what leads to harm for others, what leads to a sense of well-being in my heart, what leads to a sense of well-being in those around me actually see for ourselves by someone asked uh, or was reflecting out loud today what is the meaning of making contact with the world well only by making contact conscious contact can we begin to recognize the karma which we're creating I remember once someone told me something I was while I was a monk and we were on one of our pilgrimages every year we used to go on a walking pilgrimage leave the monastery and just uh, walk not know 
where we were going to go, not know where we were going to stay. In Thailand, that's a lot easier to do than in, in this country. <laughs> but we still tried to do it in this country. And we would, uh, getting near the end of the day, one would uh, start uh, looking for a place to stay. And one would uh, go into people's houses and, and say, we're monks on pilgrimage. Uh, do you know of anywhere around here where we could uh, camp just for the night? And sometimes people would uh, be upset and send us away, and sometimes people would say, well, you can, you can stay here. Anyway, we were staying somewhere. And someone uh, came over And they were from a very um, convinced uh, Christian background and saying, you know, you're Buddhist. You just haven't you got the message? You think you can do it. But, I mean, if you could do it, the world would be okay. And the world's obviously not okay, so you can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you wake up and get God to do it? Or why don't you allow God to do it? Now, actually, in the esoteric sense, I don't have a problem with that, but I don't think he was meaning it in an esoteric sense. And there's stuff that we do that doesn't have anything to do with what some God somewhere is doing. And I told the guy, well, if I sit here and kind of shout obscenities at you and start doing this and that and causing a big ruckus and there's a big riot in this campground, we were in a campground that night. And I said, would you blame that on God or would that be something that uh, has been generated by the kind of things that I'm saying, the kind of things I'm setting in motion? So who calls that? But what I said and, and, and how people responded and that which is being created through what one says. That's karma. Karma, the word karma means to create. We set things in motion. We set things in motion. And even before that word that has been setting ripples in motion is the thought. And the real significant component of karma is intention. That intention. But sometimes before we know it, we're kind of all kinds of things are setting in motion, being ricocheted off each other. Some guy's talking about having God sorted out when continually living beings are setting all kinds of things in motion. This uh, was vividly burned into my brain, into my heart for a, a lifetime when I was um, a young student at Oxford and went on holiday to France uh, with my girlfriend. And I was just learning how to meditate, but I didn't have a teacher. I just sort of knew that if you sort of were quiet, you could kind of rev up and something would happen. And I heard this inner sound and no one told me what it was, but I just noticed if I listened to it and kind of 
stayed with it, kind of energy would sort of build up, and I, and I would think this must be something special because I it feels significant. And uh, but I didn't really have a guide, and um, my girlfriend wasn't really into it. <laughs> and uh, there was all kind of karma being created between us, which I wasn't even vaguely aware of. <laughs> But anyway, as I was trying to kind of rev up one day in the gorges of Tarn in southern France, what was revving up was this kind of rage that's being revved up. And this kind of incredibly uncomfortable feeling. And my meditation just wasn't doing what it should have been doing. So I opened my eyes and, and there was this big, huge stump in front of me. We're on the edge of a kind of deep gorge. And this kind of roar, I went, Rah! and just pushed this thing. And felt great, just kind of pushing. And uh, with all this kind of aggression. And then I just sort of looked over the edge. And this massive, heavy stump, this huge, bounding down this mountain. And then, I, and then, you know, suddenly, kind of the thought was, come back because there was a road down there and there was someone walking on a road and the sky's falling above them no gosh this guy trying to murder me and you know this big huge stump went down crashing down the mountain it didn't thank goodness hit this person but then there's another mile or a long way down this mountain and I'm thinking Who's down there? <laughs> this panic. So I started sliding down the mountain wondering, who's down there? And to this day, I might be wanted for murder. <laughs> But what we set in motion You know, it just uh, feels good. <sighs> What am I setting in motion? A lot of times we just say stuff. We just do stuff. That's called karma. It's creating. Cause and effect. And so why is, what is the meaning of contact? <coughs> what is the meaning of contact with the world? It's only with conscious contact can one then start to discover what is being generated from this body and mind right here as we contact thought, as we contact intention, as we contact the feelings, contact consciously our speech, our actions. Within that conscious, clear seeing, there's the opportunity to see, was there aversion? Was that in there, the desire to kind of get rid of something? Was there a desire wanting to get something from me? Or was there delusion, just making assumptions? Assumptions that weren't really true, that weren't really based on clear understanding.
And in this work that we've been doing these these last days as one is making contact with all aspects of our being. Contact with form, our bodily form, the form of the earth, the form of each other, the form of the building, the form of the grounds, as we make contact with form, learning how when the mind is steadied on form, or steadied on something that's in the mind becomes still and peaceful, and using whatever quality of reflective mind that we have, to, to then start to inquire into the nature of form, starting to see the changing nature of the wind and the leaves and the breath and the day and the light and the dark. Form is changing everywhere. And contacting the realm of feeling as our form makes contact with the world through sight and sound and smell and taste and touch and thought contacting the realm of being pleased or displeased, having a pleasant feeling, an unpleasant feeling. As we maintain contact through the day, just noticing what that's like, noticing how feeling changes. But noticing how feeling oftentimes sets off a kind of reaction to that feeling, sets off a kind of desire, if it's a pleasant feeling, a kind of wanting more peaceful feeling, wanting more, pleasant taste, wanting more, pleasant sight, wanting more, pleasant fantasy, wanting more. Sometimes we notice how feeling kind of moves into kind of wanting or not wanting as we've been studying. And getting maybe a sense of how karma comes into play, how that Wanting that that formation of wanting kind of leads can can lead to the intention of grasping, really trying to get something, and then becoming. That's 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 the karma of birth. When it's creating birth, when there's a something that happens that we really want, and we grasp it, and then we become it. Yes whether it's a pleasant feeling in meditation, a pleasant thought, a pleasant moment, when things are just right. That's the karma of birth. And when we create karma, when there's something created, we have to accept the results. And so there's also vipaka karma. Also, there's called resultant karma. When one creates birth, what, what, what is the result of birth is death old age, sickness, and death. So when we grasp something and get born into something, then as that starts to change, as we've been talking the last few days, and there's this sense of losing something, feeling insecure, lost again. And one can then watch the flow of karma, grasping, rejecting, These karmic tendencies of uh, desire, aversion, liking, disliking, the karmic tendency of sadness, the karmic tendency of despair, the karmic tendency of criticism, the karmic tendency of aversion, all these are creations that 
formations in the mind that create a whole kind of world that then can lead to speech, that can lead to action. It's all generating our world. And as much as we pray to God, and I don't have a problem believing in gods. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I've seen people in India just just with their hand right in front of me manifest things just out of nothing. And we can, I can manifest, this isn't that impressive, but it's a miracle. I can manifest my fingers suddenly going like that, going like that. I can manifest words out of nothing. <laughs> we all amazing creators. And I see that someone manifesting a statue out of nothing. So if someone could manifest a guy a house, could manifest a planet, could manifest a solar system, I don't have a problem with that. But even if someone could, even if someone came down and then just manifested bliss in us, and then manifested a healthy body. the very next moment we still could generate the karma of suffering. Just by thinking, God, God is neat and creating God out there and me here. Then we've, we've just suddenly taken birth. There's not God. Birth on something. So what have we taken birth on? If it's anything to do with what you can see or what you can hear or what you can feel or what you can think, and we've just taken birth and then we're going to die again, going to die again, going to die again. God can manifest. All kind of forces can manifest all kind of things. But who is going to, what is going to stop wars? And what is going to stop the horror of uh, harming each other? And what is going to stop us harming ourselves? with all kind of self-aversion. What is going to stop uh, despair? It's only when delusion is, is, is being, the delusion that gives rise to all this wrong thinking, wrong seeing, is illuminated by clear seeing in our own hearts. not to deny the blessing that one can receive from outside and, and, and I, I think in our devotional practice one can see here that it's very important to, to be open to receiving the blessing of encouragement and the blessing of help from those beings wiser and stronger than us but on the other hand it's incredibly significant that we take responsibility for what we set into motion And so there's that significant aspect of the truth that has to be experienced, each of us, for ourselves. And these karmic tendencies, just like when the rain falls on a, on a hillside in, in Africa, let's say, in some places where there isn't many trees, isn't much grass in some places, you notice that after a while the, the water will form little grooves. The water gets used to flowing in those grooves and it will form little ravines. Then it will form deeper kind of 
roots that the water habitually then goes every time it, it rains and those, those grooves become deeper, deeper. In the same way, some of the karmic patterns that we form in terms of the habitual ways that we think, the habitual ways that we speak, the habitual ways that we act become I don't know what the English word would be, but become ingrained. There's a latent power in that ingrained pattern so that circumstances appear, the right circumstances appear, and then there it is, strong reaction. The karmic result of what we've already set into motion And what's difficult, the law of karma can be seen very easily in the, in the, or pretty easily in the material realm. We kind of throw something against a wall and it kind of bounces back. Throw something against a wall and it comes back and hits us. And so we get, get the message. And we've used the law of karma, the law of cause and effect, the law of motion and stuff to do amazing things. But somehow, as a humanity, hasn't really gotten the message that this lawfulness of form, doesn't it also isn't our consciousness and our moods and our thoughts, isn't that also part of this nature, this cosmos? And the law of cause and effect also manifests in consciousness. The difficulty is, though, the way it manifests in consciousness is much more complex. So sometimes when we're sitting in meditation and we feel all of these different feelings, it's not so easy to know where they've come from. Is it because of something I did when I was a child? Is it because this is my mom's feeling and I was in her womb and, and uh, she was really worried, therefore I've become very worried? Or is it because I was born premature? My mom says, Randy? <laughs> he says, Randy, I know why you became a monk. I said, why, Mom? <laughs> he says, because we put you in that incubator. He says, that's what it was. That was your first meditation cell, Randy. <laughs> and so maybe it was because I was in the incubator needing something or other. Or maybe it's because the person next to us is really feeling some stuff and we're sensitive. Or someone else recently told me that my skull was thinner than usual so that I'm very sensitive. Who knows? <laughs> Why we feel what we feel. But what we can know is that this is the result of the karma of my life, is this moment right here, and it is perfect. Where it's all coming from, where the strands are coming from, I don't know. Sometimes it's obvious when you've just kind of shouted at someone and someone, something's coming right back. It's pretty obvious there's a link there. But sometimes it's not so obvious. But... Whatever, what we can do is as we sit and stuff comes, we can kind of work with it. We can be patient with it. We can look at it. And if we have some of these tendencies, we've been talking about 
the tendencies that cause suffering, the first, the second noble truth, the forms of desire, the forms of aversion. And then we talked about the, the third noble truth, the cessation of suffering, the realization of peace, the realization of that timeless aspect of Dhamma that becomes apparent which is always already here, but it becomes apparent when the mind isn't so obsessed with the illusion of trying to get rid of something or trying to get a hold of something, so busy pushing and pulling that we don't see what's already here. So in working with some of these, these tendencies, we'll see a tendency, maybe we'll work with it, we'll think we're getting somewhere, and then lo and behold, God, five minutes later, an hour later, a day later, there it comes again, whacks us on the head again. Self-doubt, righteous indignation, worry. And if we're not careful, we can really make a problem here. We can really then see that tendency is coming back. Oh, God, I thought, I thought I saw it yesterday. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. We keep kind of working at it, working at it, and then think we kind of see it. Then it so we think our practice is getting better. Yeah. Whew. Pretty peaceful now. Then it comes back again. It's like, oh, God, there it is again. Obviously, I haven't understood. Just haven't understood. Because there it is. And that's a very important karmic moment that's happening right in that instant. One has created a being that has a problem. In that very instant. I've got this problem because look, there's the condition. I'm someone with a problem. It's not, I thought it was getting better. I'm someone who thought it was getting better, but it's not really getting better problem. That's a massive creation of a being in that very instant. And so sometimes there's the idea that the awakening process is somehow cessation. I mean, I'm saying this because I thought it for quite some time. That cessation means something really is just finished. It's gone. The lights turn out or turn on. Some, something. And, and what I'd like to talk a little bit about, that's not what cessation about is about. In, um, in my dying phase of monastic life after I had the typhoid and got over that and then I was, had this Crohn's disease for a few years, well, eight years, they said it was incurable and I was being treated for it, but uh, at the present, uh, they can't find it anymore. But there was a few years where I was really laid out and had to kind of lay down most of the time in the attic so I didn't of Chithurst house so I was sort of the monk that was dying in the attic (laughs) (laughs) and some people have wondered if there's esoteric significance to my hats but one of the and this is also karma Maybe in a past life I was a hat maker and made lots of hats for people. I don't know. But people would come to the monastery and if they got a glimpse of this, this really pale, Auschwitz victim type looking guy, 
They were like, God, look at him. He's going to die. I'll make him a hat. <laughs> I think I had eight woolly hats. <laughs> so anyway, but I would mainly stay in the attic and uh, from time to time the, the monks who were really busy would, would come up and talk to me and stuff like that. And, and uh, uh, I'd occasionally make a brave outing and uh, would, it would be a huge venture out, but I'd try to take a 15-minute walk or something like that. And there was this place near the monastery where there was three big, huge oak trees in this forest that were side by side, and they were Buddha Dhamma Sangha oak trees, as far as I'm concerned. And I meditate. I had a lot of time for just meditating because I couldn't do anything else. And there was a lot of uh, pain in my body, but also that can be a a source of uh, concentration, so that it was a pretty intense time, and I was working a lot on, on just, I won't go into that, but just letting go, <laughs> and uh, in those days the meditation was pretty intense, and so uh, during this period I was starting to have these inner nimittas of, um, not only the inner sound, but then the inner sound was turning into an inner orchestra, <laughs> and, uh, and so it was... Uh, all this music was just being manifested in my in, in my mind, and and uh, for those of you who, who who I don't know the technical words of saying it, but you know when you're getting near the end of a classical symphony, or you, you know how how you always know that the ending is coming because you know there's the whole tonal system of kind of going up to the there's the home tone whatever that is going up to the fifth, and there's a kind of tension, and you're pretty sure it's going to come back down again because you, you feel it all moving towards home. So there's I don't know what you call that end bit, but it's like say Beethoven or something. And then you know, and I would think finally, and then this big cadenzas would start, and the violins would go, and flutes would go. And then another big thing, and another big thing, and it was never ending, never ending. And then I think, oh, and then some kind of clarinet would start or something. And I was, and I was thinking, when's it going to cease? And I was waiting for cessation as this sort of big ending, when, when everything would kind of snap and break and the heavens would open up. And it was going on and on and on. And I was dying as I was trying to walk out to these three oak trees and this kind of whole thing's going and going. I thought, when I get to the tree, I'll sit under the middle tree and it'll stop. I know it. I know what it's going to be. That's when cessation's going to happen. You know, uh, getting out there and I'm sitting in there and it goes on and on and on. And meanwhile, I really am dying, barely, barely holding myself up. And then I said, this is ridiculous. I'm dying out here. <laughs> and so then I started to, to walk back. And just as I started to walk back, I had this... Uh, inside. I thought, what am I doing? I'm wanting some kind of cessation. I'm wanting the ending of suffering to be some kind of breaking of conditions, some kind of shifting of conditions. In my mind, and our mind has ways of graphically telling us things. I just thought, you know, and in, 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 in that moment, just like of giving up, I saw that kind of really clearly. What Cessation isn't a condition stopping. The wind's going to keep blowing. 
The breath's going to go in and go out and go in and go out. And these different karmic formations are... Does that mean to say that we can only know cessation, only know enlightenment when no doubt ever comes again? When no other kind of thing ever comes again? We hold on to that imagined state of something stopping. Then the slightest little breeze, the slightest little ghost can whisper something in our ear and we think, oh gosh, I have a problem again. The cessation is about one's relationship with things. Cessation is the cessation of demanding that things be otherwise. So on the, on the Buddha's night of enlightenment, he was surrounded by demons and armies of, kind of elephants, all kind of doubts and worries and stuff happening. It's not that they all disappeared, but he said, I know you. The cessation was the cessation of ignorance. It wasn't the cessation of conditions. It was the cessation of being deluded by them. I know you. And for seven years after the Buddha's enlightenment, Mara, the personification of delusion in Buddhist teachings, Mara followed the Buddha around. From time to time he'd whisper in the Buddha's ear, You don't really know. And the Buddha would say, I know you, Mara. And he would sulk off, the Buddha knows me. <laughs> then he'd try again. He'd come back and say, why don't you take it easy? You've worked hard. You've done a great job. But it's exhausting teaching all these troublesome monks and nuns and laymen and laywomen. Why don't you enjoy yourself? The Buddha would say, I know you, Mara. He didn't have to kick him, kill him. He didn't say, oh God, I'm doubting. Maybe I'm not enlightened. I know you. And I like to see this. It happened for seven years, and then finally Mara said, this guy knows me. (laughs) (laughs) And so then the condition stopped. Mara didn't hassle the Buddha anymore. He didn't try to. Now, Now, what does that mean? So let's say we're working. Each of us has our own patterns and stuff that we're working with. And we're there. And then it comes back again, that kind of sense of needing someone else's approval maybe, or the sense of indignation, or the sense of confusion, or despair, or sadness, or anger, or whatever. It comes. And then we can, you know, make a problem out of it. And then think, oh gosh, where is enlightenment? I mean, God, this is, this is getting ridiculous. But what if I know you? Just, I know you. We don't have to hate these conditions. And they have their own karmic force. If we throw straw in a fire, it can blaze up and, and, and return to nothingness, to ashes in a short time. If we throw twigs in a fire, there's more density there. It burns longer. If we throw good old English oak into a fire, there's a lot of density there. 
It takes time to burn through. And some of these karmic tendencies have been, have been established over years and decades and lifetimes. The tendency to become a thought, this is me. The tendency when there's a pleasant feeling to want it. The tendency when there's an unpleasant feeling to reject it. These are the deep karmic formations. So they're, they're bound to keep coming. And so rather than creating yet another formation of someone with a problem, notice the difference between seeing it as me and my problem. When we start to see the characteristics of existence, we just see Dhamma, we see change. We see Dukkha, we see that which is not satisfying to claim. Because it's unreliable. We see Anatta, it's not who I am. It is what it is. Or in, in a simplified term, we see, I know you. Just that much, I know you. And so even though that condition is still there, even though Mara's taunting us, or rage is doing something, or worry is doing something, or desire is doing something, we don't have to put off awakening. We can be awake here and now. There can be cessation and the true experience of peace. Because... It's the cessation of grasping, the cessation of rejecting. It's not demanding that all conditions just disappear. It's the essence of a really important aspect of right view, of seeing things as they are. And with these difficult conditions, it, it really takes a lot of patience and a lot of, of also humility and a whole turning around of our way of thinking that what we feel is continually creating a problem for us we begin to sense as, as something that is obviously teaching us something so it becomes our teacher So it's very important to, to be very patient because one, one has to be patient if you're waiting for oak logs to burn down. And so do we have to think, I only can be peaceful when it's all, when there's just ash and the wind blows and there's just nothing in space? Or can we also be, be peaceful with it burning down and enjoy the warmth from it? As we work with these difficult conditions, they generate the warmth of patience. They generate strength. They generate courage. They're already being here and now transformed into, into virtues of wisdom, of humility, of perseverance. And so it's very important to remember that in the refuges that we, that we learn to rest in, that the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha are not out there somewhere when everything ends. Like me waiting there for that kind of symphony to finally end. When's it going to end? God, I can feel it. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. But that's wrong view. That the Dhamma that we chanted every day, and so even if you don't like Pali, and that big chunk at the end of the first page that we chant every day, go to the translation. That is the oldest most regularly recited, most obviously authentic, 
description of the refuge in all the Buddha's teachings. It appears again and again in the scriptures. All the scholars say the Buddha said that. So go, go look at that simplified description of, of Buddha, of Dhamma, of Sangha, and, and look at Dhamma. Savakato Bhagavata Tammo. The Dhamma, the teaching, the truth which has been well proclaimed by the Blessed One. And then we recite every morning and evening the, the qualities of Dhamma. And the first quality is Sandittiko. And the second quality is Akaliko, Ehipastiko, Opanaiko, Pachatangvetita Bhovanyahu. Sandittiko means here and now. This Dhamma, this sublime truth, bright, true, bright, peaceful nature of things is always here and now. Always here and now. Not only here when the symphony stops. It's a calico. It's timeless. It's not bound by time. It's not, it's not only can be seen when one is in, in deep peace on the eighth day of a ten-day good retreat. Or it's not only to be seen when, we're, when you've been really good and we've endured a heck of a lot of pain and so then we deserve the truth that it's, it's timeless, it's available to be seen. Ahipasako means come and look. It means just turn to the truth. We don't, even, we don't need a special card. We don't need a Buddhist card or a special invitation. That, it, that it's open, whether we're young, old, black, white, male, female. It's ahipasako. It's a question of just turning. And so, so really remembering Opanayako, this truth leads inward, Pajatang, Vekita Bhavinyuhi, to be experienced by each person for themselves, means here and now, then where is this truth? The worldly, what we call Michaditti, a wrong view, keeps imagining this truth must be when I get rid of this and get rid of this and get a hold of that and get a hold of that. And that's what generates the karma of birth and death. Because as soon as we think we've got to get rid of something and get something, what is that? That's desire. That's the mind which has conceived something that we have to get hold of. Look, anywhere that desire can point the mind, any sight, any sound, any thought, and if we look with a keen eye of wisdom at anywhere when one points, one encounters dukkha. Not as a negative value judgment about the world. I'm not saying the world's bad, the phenomenal world. But wherever we contact the world, we see it's changing and shifting. So the idea that somehow the end of suffering can be grasped is what eternally leads to samsara. So sandiktiko, the here and now truth means actually here and now as it is, with the body as it is, with the mind as it is. There's truth here. So it's not so much crushing desire and get rid of desire. It's recognizing, I know you. Because desire in and of itself, nothing in and of itself hurts anybody. But this activity of beginning again 
It requires a lot of patience, and patience is, is the ultimate practice. The Buddha announced this to 1,250 enlightened disciples. These are beings who are utterly peaceful, not moved by greed, hatred, and delusion. Yet he even announced to them, gave a talk, where he said, Kantiparamantapotitika, patience is the highest practice for overcoming unskillful states. Patience, that willingness to allow the karma that has been set in motion to run its course, allowing, us, allowing ourselves to feel that. Even though we don't like the condition, hearing the voices of not liking, not liking, until we just, I know you, not demand that it be any other way than it is. Allowing those conditions to burn away and be transformed into clear seeing. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.